Welcome to the Legendarium. Vindicated. I love this woman. Everything mm. about her. She's wonderful. <laughs> she's and, a great character. Oh, she's fantastic. And so I felt very warm and fuzzy that I had picked the right favorite character, and anybody else who picked somebody else is obviously wrong. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 129 of the Legendarium Podcast. We're calling this the Wheel of Time Questions Catch-Up. Uh, that's Catch-Up. Yeah, just about to call you <laughs> Catch-Up. Catch-Up. I am Craig this is Hanks. Your condiment episode. Your... I help you with your catch-up problem. Thank you for saying ent. <laughs> uh, I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, his hair seems to be gradually falling from his head to his feet. It's Ryan Bruckman. And continuing to grow at a greater rate down there. Exactly. It's feathered and lethal. <laughs> <laughs> what was that from? Oh, what? just when we had compliments at work. Like, what's the best oh, compliment you've right. ever received? And somebody told me that my hair was feathered and lethal. There so I thought, nice. yeah. And over there, that's him. He taught middle school English. So with Ken gone today, his preteen wrangling skills will be completely wasted. It's Kyle Lemon. Well, there's enough hormones in this room that's still you know, <laughs> fluctuating. I hope not. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we get to the meat of the episode, very quickly, patreon.com slash legendarium. Head there and support the show. We greatly appreciate that. Patreon.com slash legendarium. Also, for those of you who are uh, not caught up on the last couple episodes, go to Reddit, and we have our very own subreddit there, thanks to an intrepid listener. Thank you very much for that. Now, I was clued into something. You can go to reddit.com slash r slash thelegendarium and get there that way. Apparently, you can also go to thelegendarium.reddit.com, and that's a little easier. So, there are two ways to get there, but I'm having a lot of fun there. It's not, uh, uh, you know, we're not seeing posts every hour on the hour, but we are seeing some fun interaction there, so I'm really appreciating that and uh, would love more of you to join facebook.com slash the legendarium check us out there and interact there you can also go to twitter at legendarium pod is our handle uh i've been told that i'm very slow getting back to people frankly i don't care because i hate twitter i hate it i hate it so much i'll use it because i understand like that's a way that people communicate sometimes and so i'll use it but twitter is the modern day reader's digest for at least for me it's what you read on the toilet (laughs) (laughs) it's worth about that much most of the time i don't know i've seen a few things i like on twitter but it is fun to interact like occasionally i'll interact with people on other stuff so anyway so we are on there and if you if you tweet at us i will get it and i will respond so blah 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 uh all right so today what are we doing we're like i said we're catching up on the wheel of time before we dive into book six so this discussion will cover all of books one through five Spoiler alert, everybody. And we've all read at least some of book six, and so we'll try not to dig into that, but it's possible that one of us may spoil the first five chapters of book six just because it's kind of on our minds. Uh, But uh, anyway, there are a lot of quotes and questions and and, um, Reddit stuff that gets suggested that we don't quite get to on the podcast. Uh, And so we'll try to address a few of those today. We still won't get to all of them, but sorry about that. Uh, Anyway, let's get started. I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about first? Kyle, you are our Wheel of Time uh, master, our maestro. 
so why don't you kick us off? What do you want to talk about first in our catch-up episode? Well, we definitely received a lot of, oh my gosh, I can't believe you didn't talk about this thing. <laughs> um, and one of the main ones was Matt's answers from the Finns. So the Finn people, Elfin, Elfin. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, the, I thought you meant the, the actual Finnish people. <laughs> the Finnish people. Um, no, what he, what his answers were when he went through the archways in Ruidion. And, yep, I marked that as well. And kind of looking at it, I mean, these types of answers are kind of like prophecy, but they're not exactly prophecy, but they're going to happen. So right. I thought I've got, a, I got, I've got the three of them written down and we'll read through each one and maybe we'll just talk about each one and what we think is, okay. about is this them. him going through the arches in Ruidion or the ones beforehand that ran? Well, we can talk about both, but the, the ones that he went through beforehand, basically the three answers that he got was you need to go to Ruidion or you will die. Um, and then he says, okay, well, why will I die? And they said something about like, I can't remember exactly um, what it was. He but would die because he will have sidestepped fate and would be killed by those who do not want that fate fulfilled. Yeah. And so basically the answers that he got in and the first one was go to Ruidion or you will die. And the three of them were pretty much the same thing. Um, sorry, I'm totally derailing. But was that when he also found out about the daughter of the nine moons? No, no that's, that's the that's, next that's one. That's the next so one. The, okay. That's the first one on the list of the three questions that he got right. okay. or the three answers that he right. got. So... The first answer is to marry the daughter of the nine moons. So, yeah, what what were his questions? He got to ask three uh, questions or something like that? I don't remember the no, questions the, the, exactly, the actually. First, the first archway is you get to ask three questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the second archway, it was like you make three requests or something. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, remember, this has been my first time, or I guess second time, uh, if you count. I probably should have been a little bit more prepared with the actual question that he asked, because <laughs> right. I just have the answers, right, because the here. answers are what are it, what's important, really. Um, so he's going to marry what he needs to do, and the first one is to marry the daughter of the nine moons. And so my question for the podcast would be, who is the daughter of the nine moons? Do we have any speculation on that? And what do we think that means for Matt? Because Matt doesn't seem like the marrying type. I believe it or not. <clears throat> I Okay, so I'm not very smart. And we understand this and we roll with it. It's accepted. But I actually remembered that phrase because it's uttered in book two. If I'm not terribly mistaken. Really? And I'm pretty sure it's in book two. And it's um, it's got to do with the Shan Chan. Yes, you're uh, you're nodding your head. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil. I mean, we <laughs> probably should have spoiler alerted that. Yeah. Um, I'll bleep it out. Well, you're fine. You said it was in book two that it was mentioned. Like, yeah, but like I don't know. I, are, I guess are we confirming then that it's a Shan Chan deal? Well, like, well, I mean, so it, all it, I know is that it has to do with the Shan Chan, so he's going to marry well, the Shan Chan. And anytime you have a title like that, the daughter of the nine moons, it's yeah. got to be some sort of lord or oh, something. Oh, I kind of remember. I think I um, remember this in the when he Rand fights the Blade Master. Is that the area this happened in? Uh, I uh, mean, the, it's, the Battle of it's somewhere in the Shan Chan chapters. I I don't remember perfectly well. I just yeah. remember coming across. I I when we got to that bit in book four, I was like, oh wait, I remember mm-hmm. that from book two. 
the daughter miraculously. I there, now, I have no business remembering something like that. Uh, but however, I did I did want to bring up a similar title, which could be intriguing. We have Matt's going to marry the daughter of the nine moons, but we have a really really Is infamous it, character with the title the daughter of the night. Right, Lanfear. Yeah, right? she's all moon so and stuff. There's an interesting similarity between these two titles and remember Celine or Lanfear when she was posing as Celine she would write her letters to to uh Rand and she'd put her seal on it and then there was the moon and the stars or whatever mm, and so yeah. I don't know she's just, gonna go through a Tarangriol get split into nine and Matt's gonna marry all of them <laughs> that's hot <laughs> because that's totally something that Robert Jordan would do <laughs> so yeah I anyways like I said I just yeah. wanted to bring that up and uh I think Craig brings up a good point. Daughter of Nine Moons has been mentioned before. So look, we're on the lookout, and Matt's definitely on the lookout. Um, I don't feel like this is spoilerific, but in the first couple of chapters of book six, like you had mentioned in our mm-hmm. intro, we might say something. It seems like he's always asking yeah, girls asking that he's meeting, like, hey, does the yeah. Daughter of the Nine Moons mean anything to you? And like, because he's watching out for that and I'm probably ready to run away. I'm really interested to see that concept right there is what I'm most excited about with this in terms of. It's something to watch for, which means I have a feeling that we're going to forget about it before mm-hmm. it comes back up. It's going to be one of those things the you read. The Nine Moons thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to be a few books down the road, and then I go, oh, yeah, duh, there it is. That was right. back there, mm-hmm. whatever. But I want to see Matt's reaction because, yeah, he's the sort of that would that's going to run immediately. So if someone's like, yes, Daughter of the Nine Moons, how did you know my nickname in college? And <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be like, great, peace, I'm out, see yeah. ya. But obviously he has to marry her. That's part of his answers. So I'm kind of curious to see how someone who is so against having his fate controlled responds to that moment. Right. Uh, marriage. So <laughs> the second one is to die and live again and live once more as part of once was. Oh, of what, uh, of was. what was. And this one to me, well, this that, one This and is the pretty next self-evident, one. right? Um. Okay, so... Yes and no, well, I think. Well, Describe uh, yourself evidence. So, <laughs> so the evidence here is that he was hung, I mean, and this is evidence that he talks about, right? Mm-hmm. He was hung on the tree in Ruidion, and Rand cuts him down and revives him, so he died and lived again, and then lives once more as a part of once of what was, and that's like the memories in his head. At least that's one interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. And okay. so and, and this is one of those kind of like vaguely worded things where, yeah, I could see in book 11, he mm-hmm. totally gets stabbed through the heart and then has to be revived again. It's like, oh, no, that one was it. You know, I could see that happening. But so but I feel like it, that's that's what we've seen already. That could be the character in a lot of the uh, uh, like teen action, whatever the vampire movies, whatever that dies every eight episodes or whatever. He's Kenny. <laughs> He's Kenny yeah, from Kenny. South Park. <laughs> <laughs> ah. um, I will. I think. I think you hit the nail on the head as far as like live once more as part of what was. He has all these memories from what was, and he's going through and trying to figure out what to do with those. Um, but my question would be the to die and live again part. Um, he was hung, ran, revived him, whatever. But at the end of book five, he also is killed and revived via Bellfire. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So okay. that's what I, that was kind of what I was thinking about with so this whole, he keeps dying. I guess, I guess it, the wording of it just implies that the, the memories filling up his head, mm-hmm. if that's the, 
if that's the fulfillment of the second clause, mm-hmm. then the first clause would come chronologically before that. Yeah. At least that's the implication, mm-hmm. but I guess there's no reason that it has to be that way. And it's interesting because it just says to die and live again. It doesn't say you're going to die once and live again once. Oh, that's he true. He might die multiple times Doggone and revive himself. I don't know. <laughs> um, Here's You're so good at words. I know. So I, I Whatever. My big question with this that's along this route here is actually going back to the question that or the answer that he got from the previous group, because they actually say that um, you will be killed, and you will be killed by those who do not want that fate fulfilled. Uh, talking about his, I'm assuming his role in in the pattern. So, being that he was hung, if we assume that that's his death, so right. are these groups that he has that he asked these questions through the second time? Do they not want to see the light prevail? Or do they want? Are they the group that wants to keep ran, uh, keep Matt from being able to fulfill his mission? Yeah. Or is it just the Forsaken later on? Obviously, doesn't want him to f- fulfill, so he gets killed that way. Or is it just anybody who doesn't want him to finish just going to kill him? That's just how it it's works. It's a good question, and it you know it makes me think like so the it, what is that the ale fin and the eel fin? Yeah, the fins, um, the fins, the sushis. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, Snakes and foxes. Yeah, there you go. <sighs> so game. it Sorry. makes me wonder: Are they? Are they more important than they seem? So, mm-hmm. as of now, up through book five, these were characters just in one book. They were only in book four, and they existed to deliver information and some objects for Matt, in his case. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Well, and also, Moraine and Rand also went through those those Tarangriel. Both of them? Moraine and Rand, yeah. Went, went through both sets? Um, I don't think they went through both sets, but we know that they went through the first set. Right, for right, sure. Right. And that's one of them. I don't remember if it's the Aelfin or the Eelfin, but it's they were there. Right, and the, so, the one in tier. They mm-hmm. went through the one in tier. Anyway, but I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, at this point, it just seems like they're there to deliver information, but are they going to be a big deal later on? I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I, I think I'd like for them to be. I kind of hate to see something so interesting and vivid just be used as uh, a red herring or mm-hmm. an information delivery well, system. I think for this second question as well, because Matt has obviously died multiple times and been revived multiple times. Right. But we need to remember or Matt's character is important not only because he's Taviran and now that he has all these memories of generals and can be this super awesome you know, battle commander... The dude blew the Horn of Valir in Brook 2. Oh, that's right. Gosh, I did forget so, that. That's, I'll yeah. be darned. So what does this mean for him? He's died now. So is he still connected to the Horn of Valir? Is the Horn of Valir now up for Wait, grabs? Wait, Doggone it. You're killing me here. I'm just saying. He's dead. No, you're right. I guess I just <laughs> hadn't even considered that. This is so, one of those I'm wondering, like... He, is this a leading question? Like, you want us to think about it because we're going to find something like that? Or or am I throwing you off? <sighs> Probably both. Liar. No, so that, but that's the question is the, the Horn of Elir is tied to the person who blows it. And they say that, you know, anybody else that were to blow the Horn of Elir after Matt, it doesn't work for them. It just is a normal right. horn. He's the only one that can call the heroes back from the dead. But he's now died and come back twice. Does. The fact does that, that he, short circuit it? Yeah, does that short circuit it? Or is because because he's still alive and kicking in the pattern and one of his deaths was Balefire, so does that undo it? 
Does you know what I mean? So is he still connected to the Horn of Alir or not? And if he is, then he's got to stick around, obviously, until the last battle because he's very, very important. And if he's not, then we've got Great Hunt all over again. Where if anybody <laughs> gets their hands on it, lips we, to it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the uh, light side could be in trouble. The Great Hunt too, which it this is. Time, in, I think it's personal. <laughs> It's uh, it's in the basement of Tarvalin, I right. think, is where it is. Supposedly, as so, far as we know. That's as far as we know from the last we've seen. But that's number two uh, answer, where he dies and lives again, has bigger implications than he just dies and lives again and gets his memories, right. I think. Well, let's do the last one. Go okay. Ahead. Okay. Yeah. What were we going to say? Well, I, I'm sorry. I thought there's a, uh, a trend in actions with major artifacts in this story uh-huh. that you get them and then immediately put them somewhere else. <laughs> I've got Kalandor. I stick it in the ground. I've got the Horn of Valier. I put it in the basement. Like, <laughs> Ren goes to Rideon. I've got these Angriel. I put it in a closet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hold on to these things, people. <laughs> they should be, uh, they should be the, soulbound the one, like Warcraft. The one thing that they, <laughs> the one thing, thing that anybody hangs on to is Rand with the fat man in his pants. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, certain things you just can't give up, I guess. If you could make Nynaeve's braid a a Saw Angriel or something, you'd be good. good. Age of Legends all over again. Anyway, third question. Third Third question. And this one's the most interesting and I think... Mysterious? Mysterious, because we don't know anything about this. To give up half the light of the world to save the world. All right. Well, y'all know how fond I am because I... I think it's purposeful what Robert Jordan is doing here, but he brings in little phrases from the New Testament a lot. Mm -hmm. And here's one of them. So light of the world in the New Testament would refer to Jesus. And so in this case, our Jesus figure is Rand-ish. Anyway, and so it makes me wonder uh, if it's tied to Rand somehow. Uh, probably not. I well, I mean, the second part of that is to save the world. And who's the biggest number one player in the Save the in, World campaign? That would be Rand. Right. Uh-huh. I don't know. Ryan, what do you think? So I have a little insight on this. Oh, no. And I don't want to spoil it. But there's some artwork that I think I has given me the answer to this. Oh, no. Later in the series. This is one of those few times, like most of the time I love cover artwork. Uh-huh. I know you have complained in the past that cover artwork can reveal story points later on and I think this is one of them if you look at uh, late enough in the book or late enough in the series in the old artwork uh, that there's a, a visual cue that like oh I get what that means and I, I saw the artwork read that and went I think I know what they're, what they're oh, talking no. about here. I could be wrong. So everybody don't look at the artwork that is if a you pet. don't want look to at be the, spoiled. Just use the ebook artwork. There's nothing there but yeah. <laughs> that is yeah as you say that's a kind of a pet peeve even just putting characters on the cover so if you're reading eye of the world and then you look at uh, you so you're halfway through eye of the world and you just met loyal then you look at the cover of the great hunt and there's loyal on the cover you're like oh well i know that guy survives you know that that sort of thing i also think it would be interesting to dissect it the language i mean you brought up the idea of the the light of the world new testament style but, Uh but what if we take it as a literal meaning meaning and the light of the world so what are the lights that light up the world. You have the sun, you have the moon. If you have half of that, you could give up half of one of those He's lights. He's going to give up half of his wife. He's going to yeah, find well, the daughter of the, the nine the moons. daughter of the nine moons. Right. Could it be that? I mean, you could connect those dots 
fairly easily if you're going more literal because a lot of times Jordan goes metaphorical and like whatever. I'm sure and, I don't uh, know what you mean. And <laughs> maybe maybe he's just trolling us and he's going to go in a literal sense this time. I think you're trolling us. Probably. There's yeah. No <laughs> no way it's literal. It can't be literal. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um cool. Anything else be uh not not regarding that? those but I I do think that we have somewhat shortchanged Matt uh as, as a whole like through the podcast and so maybe we can talk about him a little more. And uh, one thing that has been bothering me through book four is, so there's this blossoming of the the generals in his head and... Through book five? five, Sorry, five Mm -hmm. is what I meant. And this was actually, it echoes uh, something of a complaint that I had, I think, in book two, our book two discussions, which is that we don't know Matt. Mm-hmm. So there's this character named Matt Cawthon and everybody loves him and I get why like his chapters are fun chapters and they're interesting and lots of gambling and ladies and all that stuff. Uh, so I get it. But at the same time, like, yeah, there's this guy named Matt, but he's somewhat unknowable because of the way that Robert Jordan has portrayed him because at, at no time especially as the books progress and the other memories in his head start to really take hold at no time are you able to say oh well that's that's vintage matt mm-hmm. you don't know it could be one of these other personalities mm-hmm. kind of coming through a little bit and so it's so it's hard for me at any point to say oh matt is my favorite character Mm-hmm. Or even approaching that. Like I said, I love reading his chapters and they're mm-hmm. a lot of fun and they're very interesting. But him as a character, he's too unknowable for me to really uh, l- love him as much as I love some of the other characters. Does that make any sense? Kind of. I I disagree with the, the concept because I don't think these other memories take his personality. I think he used like his, Matt uses the information from those. Mm. Um, it's not that these other generals are taking over his body for any moment or anything. It's not this loose Theron Rand battle type thing. Um, so what you see from Matt and what he does, his actions, everything, are Matt. So if you want to say what is vintage Matt, it's the actions that he takes when he's faced with a decision. And I think you can look at that and say, Matt's the guy that doesn't want to be in a position, in, a, in, in the difficult decision place, but he's the one who will always do what's, what needs to be done mm-hmm. um, in those moments. And to me, like if you, that's vintage Matt right there. Mm-hmm. And yes, he's a gambler. He's a carouser. He's, you know, a ladies' man. I think he's all those things, which makes him fun. He's, oh wow, he's he's, he's a rogue, mm-hmm. like for lack of a better term, he's just this rogue. Uh, but the 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 great thing about a character that's unpredictable like that, you can always predict them to be unpredictable. Like yeah, and I think I think if you want to get to the core of like vintage Matt, book three and four are where you're going to see it because that's where he gets healed from the dagger of Shadar Logoth Mm -hmm. and he no longer has that weirdness going on and he hasn't yet gone through the Turangrial. So he does have the holes in his memories from where he can't remember, but most of that is from the time they left the two rivers until where he's up into Tarvalin. And so that's where you're going to see Matt when you get Matt point of view. But the other the other huge indicator of like who Matt is as a person is the way that the other two rivers folk talk about talk him. about him yeah. and like the way that Nynaeve and Rand and Perrin interact with him. Maybe not as much Rand because Rand's going off on his whole Dragon Reborn thing and like trying <laughs> to know, distance that, that, well, he's trying that. to distance himself from everybody. Right. Um except, but especially Nynaeve. Except Avienda. 
especially Nynaeve, I think, because Nynaeve is the, the, the human tie to all of our main heroes. Um, her goal from the start has always been to protect, to protect them and for what she knew them as in the two rivers and things like that. And so, especially Nynaeve's you, and she, you know, obviously was the wisdom and she thinks that Matt's a troublemaker or whatever, but, uh, to Ryan's point, vintage Matt is the guy that keeps his word. He he cares about people on a personal level, but he doesn't care about the bigger picture of like, he doesn't necessarily want fame and glory. He wants to gamble and he wants to dance with women in in taverns and you know do to, his thing and he doesn't want people to tell him what to do. He wants a carefree life. Right. And I this is... I, this is one of those, as you're reading ahead, if you want to see a great uh, idea of who Matt is, watch his interactions with a character that's coming up called Oliver. Like, that's okay. a really good way to get to know that who Matt familiar. is. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so you guys want a uh, voicemail question? Yeah. Yeah, all let's right. do it. Uh, all right. Here we go. I'm hoping this won't be too loud. Hey, guys. AU from Sydney, Australia here again. I'd like to know from you, which character do you think has turned out the least like how you expected they were going to turn out? All right. So, first of all, thank you very much, AU. Um, if you would like to ask a question of us, just go to our website, thelegendarianpodcast.com. You can ask a question there using the voicemail button at the bottom of any page. Uh, anyway, so he wants to know which character has turned out least like we thought they would. My answer might be Swan Sanche. Uh, okay. Yeah. I just, when you meet her, it, okay, so you get this image in your head when you read somebody and uh, they're they're saying what they do. And um, Swan always seemed to me like the ageless face Aes Sedai version of uh, Imelda Staunton, who plays Professor Umbridge in harry potter 5 oh okay so she's just like she's mm. really like she's short and she's fiery and she um gets her way and anyway so obviously it's not a great comparison but i'm just going with the look of her what does she look like in my head and then suddenly she is stilled and yeah working for gareth Bryn in uh what's that place called saladar saladar and um, and so she she's stilled and she loses her eyes to die agelessness and she basically turns into a little girl again. She's like in her early 20s or something like that mm-hmm. and is supposed to be like pretty hot and Garth Brin's got the pretty hots for her. You're having a hard time dealing with the idea of Umbridge all of a sudden like letting her hair out and being hot. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. She takes off her glasses and it's like, oh, I do want to take you to the prom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah she turned out really different and just like um i guess i i don't know seeing her out on the road has uh has given her a really different flavor from when she was in her office i don't know i don't know how to explain it much better than that i feel like i had most of the characters pretty well pegged um from like books one and two I guess you might say maybe Masima, but we don't really see a whole lot of him, and so I don't care too much. Mm-hmm. But he definitely turned out different than I thought. But okay, so your guys' answer, go Ryan. Well, I'm gonna I'm 
he can't be here tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and let Ken have a word here. Oh, since that's He right. sent us what he was, what his answer was to this. Okay. Um, he had a little, I guess you sent it to him. Uh, his was Egwene. Uh, Egwene has turned out much different and better than I thought she would. At first, she seemed weak despite being told how strong she was, and it felt like her sole purpose was to tut-tut Rand and the boys, and I openly hoped for her swift and early demise. <laughs> <laughs> Now, with her adventures in Teleron Riode and her study under the Aeol Wise Ones, she's actually grown into one of my favorite characters and one who I think will actually, I, who I think will actually do great things. So, I'm I think that's actually very insightful, and I really liked what he was saying about Egwene. Yeah. Um, my t- I actually have two that have been very different uh, for me. Um, one on a lesser extent, and that's Rand. Um, most of the time when I read a story about this chosen one type character or whatever, they are pretty much, for the most part, dragging their feet to their destiny, mm-hmm. um, which Rand does until the Dragon Reborn. He takes Kalendor, and then basically he is now all of a sudden like, okay, I'm if I'm the Dragon the Reborn, seat. then I'm going to be the Dragon Reborn, and I'm going to own this the whole way th- like from here on out. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, so I appreciated that. Um, and I have to admit, the other character that has not turned out how I thought they would, Nynaeve, she just begins to frustrate me more and more and more. I'm trying oh, really? To, yeah. I really I really liked her at the beginning, the woman from home, the protector, uh-huh. the that anchor back there, a voice of reason. Um, but she has slowly forgotten what made her great in that way and has shifted to becoming something else, which... I'm hoping will kind of reverse itself or that it will, the course will correct. But in her frustrations with, you know, she can't get Egwene to listen to her anymore, dealing with Elaine, everything, she's been rendered powerless. And as a character, she's not responding to it very well. And I would expect someone who is, was such a great character earlier on to have responded better to this. She's just petulant now. And I want her to get back to being the, I'm a powerful, strong woman who can deal with something that, that frustrates me right i i totally get what you're saying and i don't want to poo-poo that at all uh i quite like nynaeve i I continue to like nynaeve and one of the reasons that i like her is because in a story where power comes easily to everybody who matters she is one who has to struggle she's she's the most powerful of the wonder girls but she has the block and so she is constantly struggling with that and i'm sure that that feeds into an inferiority complex mm-hmm. uh and and the stress that she must go through dealing with that it would come out in that petulance that you're talking about um so i i i still like her just because at least that one little thing feels a little more real a hell of a lot more real than her romance with Lan. <laughs> um, you track me good. You should be my wife. <laughs> Please make babies with me uh, silently in the woods. <laughs> well, I'm stone faced. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, so I get you. I'm. Mm-hmm. I. I. I disagree with disliking her because I still like her. But yeah, I'm, I. I understand. Kyle, um, who's different? Well, Tom Marilyn continually surprises me. Mm. And so when we first meet him, he's just this gleaming, just whatever, doing his, you know, playing music and doing tricks and telling stories. And and his character just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's just like, it, it blows my mind when you find out that Tom, you know, used to be 
Queen Morghese's lover. He is the master of this game of houses. He can manipulate politics. By the way, none of us is qualified to say the word lover ever. Lover. Just so you know. <laughs> anyway, um, go on. Yeah, he, he's he's just so adept at so many things. Mm-hmm. And it just never ceases to amaze me. And like I said, during this read through, it finally dawned on me that Tom was the reason that the uh, king in Kyrian is dead. And I was like, oh, I didn't get that the first six Six times times. that I read through that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, just one of those things that I picked up on. and, And the more time we spend with Tom and whether it's his point of view or when you get, you know, either Mm -hmm. Elaine or Nynaeve or whomever, he just always surprises me with how awesome he is. Um, Yeah. And then I was thinking of another minor character, but I can't remember. I was, I lost it when we were discussing Nynaeve. So, okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, uh, I've got a couple other things that I wanted to talk about, but Ryan, I know that uh, we might lose you in a few minutes uh, because you've got somewhere to be. Somewhere more important than the Legendarium podcast. I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, do, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up in the next few minutes? I just wanted to do a little recap and see if maybe you guys are processing some things the, the same way that I am. I've started to notice a bit of a trend, which makes sense in a book series. I'm not saying this is a wrong thing or right thing or anything, but there are major events that are occurring usually at the end of the books, right? Uh-huh. Um, and the further and I read... only at the end of the books. <laughs> And the further that I read into the series, the harder it is getting for me to remember the in-between major moments there. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think, I want to know what for you guys have been the most pivotal moment, pivot, pivotable moments, <laughs> the most pivotal moments up to this point in oh, terms good of question. the story. Up to book five. Um, the yeah. stuff that sticks with me most uh, would be... Pulling Kalindor from the stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, I think that's a huge one. I think revealing, yeah, revealing the Aiel history to yes. all of the Aiel is huge and crazy. Um, and then also, I think um, Rand capturing Asmodian was one of the big things for me because that really helps Rand just you know turn on his ability with the power even more and right. so he's just mm-hmm. leaps and bounds ahead of what he was just fumbling around by himself that's a huge one for you know, me it's funny it's it happens concurrently at the end of book four right he captures mm-hmm. uh asmodian at the end of book four at the same time that Nynaeve defeats mogidian Mm-hmm. And that moment sticks out way more for me than Rand and Asmodian. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, just the visuals of it or something, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But for some reason, I like I, I've mentioned before, I read some of these books years and years ago, and that's a moment that always stuck with me. Was that that fight with Mogidian? That was really good. And mm-hmm. I and I think one that we just read at the end of book five is Moraine is gone. Oh gosh, and that is gonna be a huge factor going forward and it'll be really interesting to see how Moraine's absence affects Rand because she straight up told him do not trust any other Aes Sedai and I I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last couple uh, the the book five podcasts but I knew about that because I had read these years ago I knew that Moraine was going to go 
and I could not for the life of me remember anything about the context or what book this happens in. I couldn't remember anything. And so I spent five, well, four books, because I knew it wasn't in book one, but I spent four books on the edge of my seat, just <laughs> biting my nails, wanting desperately for Moraine to stick around. Uh, and there was, there was a moment, I think, in book two where she almost gets drug card to death. Um, and I was terrified. No, don't. Hey, it's only book two. Don't take her away from me. <laughs> uh, so yes, that that is a moment that has definitely stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, I think uh, Kyle. We so Kyle and I work together, and I often go to his desk and pull him away from you know important things that he gets paid for to talk about Wheel of Time. And uh, and I came over because I said, uh, Kyle. I just read the letter that Moraine left for Rand, and uh, I gotta say, I, I've i mentioned she's my favorite character up to this point for a few different reasons, and then I read that letter, and I'm like, vindicated. I love this woman. Everything mm-hmm. about her. She's wonderful. <laughs> she's and, a great character. Oh, she's fantastic. And so I felt very warm and fuzzy that I had picked the right favorite character, and anybody else who picked somebody else is obviously wrong. <laughs> horribly, horribly wrong. I would easily put her in the top five, probably the top three characters <laughs> in the series for me yeah. as well. Yeah, I really like her. Um, okay, anything else you wanted to talk about, Ryan? No, that's you good. What are your pivotal moments? Because we oh, yeah. we discussed ours, but what do you feel? So up, this up point? to this point, I mean, uh, the blowing of the horn of Valir, mm. I think, is a very pivotal. Okay, uh, pivotal, pivotal moment. <laughs> I'm struggling with this word. Pivotal, pivotal, <laughs> pivotal moment. Um, the the drawing of Kalendor, um, I think, is a, a big one, and um, I actually think Rand using Balefire, I think, is a very big deal. Yeah. It's not really a major, like, a moment in the story, but I think his use of it is something that's going to have a lot of ramifications. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a memorable thing. I mean, the way that Robert Jordan writes Balefire, mm-hmm. he does it very vividly. And so those moments stick out. I He doesn't tell you exactly what it was but in book two was it when they or book three when moraine uses it on the dark hounds mm-hmm. like that moment sticks out yeah because of how well he describes this white bar of light that that uh, basically evaporates whatever it touches like it's really cool kind of a similar thing with colander and i think we've all said like oh yeah that was a great moment and part of it is because when rand picks up calendar and Jordan is writing about what it feels like to hold this thing in his hand, it's really well-written stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that that sticks out. It's not... Uh, he, can, he can write about the freaking circus and make it the most boring thing you've ever been to in your life. <laughs> but then he gets to those moments, the Balefire, the Calendar, whatever, the mm-hmm. Ruidion chapters, where he writes them so well that you can't help but remember long after you've put the book down. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. So uh, what else we got? Kyle, do you have any more? Um, yeah, we can go through a couple of rapid fire questions if we want to. Let's do it. Um, yeah. Favorite character after book after five books? Craig is Moraine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably it's either Rand or Matt. I'm, I will bounce between the two of those through this entire series most likely mm-hmm. between those two. 
Yeah, I think for me it's Rand. Um, I don't necessarily like Rand's personality <laughs> better than anybody else. Like, I think Matt's probably my favorite character in terms of personality uh-huh. and, and and just fun to read. But Rand's psychology just fascinates me. Yeah, it's and fun so, to be in there. Yeah, and so that is, he's definitely my favorite character. Um, next rapid fire fire question. Uh, now you both, you're, you're, you have uncontrolled bees going we're on. Just Rap- rapid fiber question. Rapid fiber. Um, w- this was a cool thing. question from our from our Reddit. Um, okay. From the Watt Reddit. What do we think about the names of the books? Oh yeah. So we can go through the first five books really quick and just like the first few were super easy. The Eye of the World is named after the Eye of the World. The Great mm-hmm. Hunt is named after the Great Hunt, and the Dragon Reborn is named after the Dragon Reborn. Now. Books four and five are a little different. The Shadow Rising is pretty apparent. It's about, well... This is when the uh, Forsaken are all up on, I believe, is what we... Is your phrase. Yes. Which I still... I You've explained it to me many times, and I just don't care to remember, apparently. They're just all up on. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so the Forsaken are kind of like really... That's uh, the first... Casting that's, their yeah. webs. You start mm-hmm. to get more uh, Forsaken or Dark Friend points of view and seeing what's going on behind the scenes with the team Shadow. Right. Um, oh, man. Which, that's an awesome name. I want to be on that team. <laughs> can I just... This is from being a few books ahead, too. Can I just say that for a book, for being the Shadow Rising, I haven't seen a Trolloc in a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's... Yeah. I mean, we're getting a lot more Dark Friend stuff. We're mm-hmm. getting a lot more of the Black Aja. We're getting a lot more of those things as we go along. But I'm sitting here going... I haven't seen a Murdral other than one. What's I've that guy's seen, name? Uh, Shadar Haran. Shadar Haran. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've seen him, but I haven't seen a Trolloc. I haven't seen anything real like that. I was gonna say, I think the last Trolloc, like real Trolloc horde or raid or whatever we saw, was it in the beginning of the Shadow Rising when they they swarm the Stone of Tears? It's, it's very short and very yeah. quick. Like, they attack, and then the other Trolloc kills the one Trolloc, and you're like, oh, wow, we've got factions inside mm-hmm. the dark groups here. And then all of a sudden, poof. Which part of that, I think, can gone. be contributed to, we talked about this a little bit with Elida in one of our episodes, is that we now have antagonists that aren't necessarily dark friends as well. Mm-hmm. And so there is, you know, the Shido Aiel that they're going after for a while, and that's kind of some of the antagonistic mm-hmm, mm-hmm, portions mm-hmm. of the book. And I don't know, but it's it's a pretty good point, like... Some of these terrible, like, like go-to baddies, the Trollocs and the Murdral, they start to phase out a little bit. Uh-huh. They're all going back to summer camp to get ready for the Great Invasion <laughs> is what I'm telling myself. They're all right. just getting together like, all right, we're so, going to go soon. Just but wait. Then we, but then we go to the Fires of Heaven, and I'm totally lost. I have no idea why that's named what it is. Uh, anybody have any light to shed on the Fires of Heaven? Mm. Not, I mean, the only thing that I can think of is the battle that they have, um, where there's all kinds of channeling going on with Rand and Egwene and Avienda when they're up on the, the like scaffolding or whatever it is, and they're like raining down hellfire on people. Right, Pretty right. much every title has referred to a moment at the end of the book, like the oh, yeah. the world when they find okay. that the great hunt when they get the horn and they blow it at Falma. The dragon reborn is officially declared after he pulls Kalendor. Right. Um, the Shadow Rising could also, I think it could also refer to what, I don't remember what the IEL referred to it as, but that, that 
darkness inside of them and when they find out what's going on the, oh, them, the bleakness, the bleakness. Mm-hmm. I could also refer to that because that's kind of a big moment at the end of, of that one there and then fires of heaven I, that I also, I, I can't I also really wonder I just, just maybe, thought maybe it's because Moraine is like like a shooting star to me <laughs> No. <laughs> um, this just occurred to me while Ryan was talking, though. The fires of heaven might refer to the like the world is heating up. The weather is starting to go crazy, mm-hmm. and they start to talk about how hot everything is and, like, that's unnatural heat that's happening. And for me, you know, obviously the sun is bringing that heat, but the dark one has some sort of influence on that. And I don't know. This is really kind of just grasping at straws, but... You know, it comes from above and it's hot and yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right. Hmm. Uh, any more rapid fires? Um, yeah. Well, we we touched on it a little bit, but Moraine's death and how it affects Rand. Um, yeah, I yeah, I think we kind of touched mm-hmm. on that enough. Favorite or worst part so far? So we talked a little bit about like pivotal points, yeah. like Ryan said, like, but maybe not. Maybe that doesn't classify as like our favorite moment or right. the worst moment. Like if you can pick, you know, best and worst. I mean, we all hated the circus. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I and I think I mentioned this already on a previous cast. The whole thing with uh, Nynaeve and Elaine in Tanchico mm-hmm. was utterly forgettable for me. Um, mm-hmm. Not it. It wasn't so bad. Like I, it wasn't painful to read or anything. Like the circus was, but I just did not care at the end mm-hmm. I was like yeah I, all I needed was that action scene at the end that's all I mm-hmm. that's all I'm after anyway just wants the action uh, yeah Ryan you look pensive I'm trying to think um, it's kind of hard to pin down a favorite spot that isn't one of the end of the books because <laughs> those are kind of big moments um, what about Lee's favorite um, I'm struggling with that one too because I tend to forget things that like that. <laughs> but right. unless it really burns an indelible scar into my head, like reading about the circus, um, I don't really. I can't think of that. There's there's a few things that I I'm I need more payoff than I've been given on so far. Okay, like um, all of Shadar Logoth and Padon Fane and all of that. I I need to know more about that. You've given me nothing recently, yeah. and that obviously has a an effect that I need that we need to deal with. And it, I'm just kind of sitting here going, "There's these unpopped e- bubbles of evil going on behind the scenes here that are going to come in, and I need that payoff to happen sooner rather than later right. before I forget about them, and then they come back in conveniently, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure, that's been sitting there for seven <laughs> books or whatever." Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the bubbles of evil concept just mm. bothers me because I can see what an author's shortcut it is. I just need something to happen here, so bubbly evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sliding across the dark one's taint. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, all right, um, I've got a question from Reddit that we never got to. What are your thoughts on the Aiel now that you've seen more of their culture and hierarchy? We did talk about the Aiel, I guess, uh, so it's not that we never got to it, but I, I feel like there was more to say. And especially now that we're at the end of book five, um, I love the Aiel. And I love the Aiel way more out of the waste than I did in it. I like mm-hmm. them there just fine, don't get me wrong. Uh, but now that we're out of the waste, 
I really like that um, the IEL serve a dual function. They're, they're an absolutely loyal base for Rand, so he always has something he can fall back on. These people are going to be with him. They, like, they're true believers in the Karakarn thing. Uh, and for the so, most part, yeah. Right. I mean, obviously there's factions within and right. nothing is, is... But as a whole, they're... Right. Uh, but anyway, so they serve that purpose. And then also they're a grounding influence for him, especially the maidens that are mm-hmm. around him all the time. And so whenever he gets too big a head or something, they're always around to kind of uh, mother him or sister him uh, in a way, right? And kind mm-hmm. of keep him uh, at least a little bit down to earth because mm-hmm. he has had a lot of change from book one. And now he's, you know, like you said, Ryan, he's taking the whole I'm the Dragon Reborn thing and running with it. Um, and so he can forget that he's just a guy sometimes. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm really, really loving the Aiel in that capacity. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or if we should just move on. I I it I will tell you it's taken a few books past where we are, but the concept that they run by of Gito honor and obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Jordan at the beginning here talks. He kind of puts a lot of the new civilizations, and you get just little pieces of their culture so that you can be like, oh yeah, these people are kind of weird. This is kind of different or whatever. But the more time you spend with the Aiel, the more that concept of Gito becomes apparent and understandable. Yeah. And I absolutely love that concept, the idea of, of things being based on honor. And if you've done something wrong, you have an obligation to someone else. Uh, I think it is a very, it is a hallmark of a great society to be, um, so Tash, we would say being a man of your word, basically. Right. And if you break your word, you try and make restitution for it. That's the yeah. whole concept. And I, I'm very appreciative that there's a group like that in on in the good side that we're not just dealing with the the backstabbing the Kyrian and plot you know the right, plotters right, right. we're not just dealing with the always good people like they understand that sometimes you have to do things that are difficult and you'll you will you will incur toe you'll incur this obligation to someone else and I think I would love to live a little more like that with a little less of the strappings that come I, from it so. I, I think a little more is kind of the key phrase there because I totally agree with you uh, but I would say that he's He's probably borrowing a lot of this concept of honor and obligation from Japanese Japanese, society, right? Ancient Japanese society. And I'm sure it's carried through somewhat into modern times. But there are modern societies uh, that I I don't know enough about to like really fully critique a lot. But there are societies built on honor. And that is their driving force. And it becomes kind of a nightmare um, when it's taken too far. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's that's the only thing I would throw in there is like to say that an, a society totally built on this this idea of honor and obligation probably in the real world would not come out looking the way that the Aiel do. Right. But it is a great kind of literary example of something to live up to in like your personal life, right? Yeah, there's a they use a phrase, and I'm sorry, I don't know where it is in the series, but they say it's if you feel um, someone asks about toe, and they say if you feel you've incurred toe, then you've incurred toe, like that's, right. And I'm like, okay, that's that's a pretty it's like, good. It's like porn. Yeah, <laughs> you know it when you see it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right. 
No. Okay. All right. Well, apparently Ryan's leaving because he has more important things to do. So, all right, Ryan. I said every wise thing I could possibly say. Yes, There's indeed. There's nothing else in these five books that I could talk about. Personally, I, I feel very, very personally uplifted. Uh, so now leave. I just want you to know that you have incurred toe to all of the Legendarium listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after I just said porn, that, that could go a lot of different directions. <laughs> So, all right. See you, Ryan. Okay, Kyle. So we're gonna keep going and talk. I, well, I let me hit, let me hit something on the IO really things. quick before we before oh, yeah, we jump yeah, yeah. off that. Okay, go ahead. One thing that I think is really cool about the IO, mm-hmm. and I feel like it needs to be used more, is they are a completely separate society or people than anything in you know on the other side of the Dragon Wall, and they will ask Rand, or not even necessarily ask Rand, but they'll look at customs and things that the peoples are trying to do, and they have the ability to be like, why? Why are you doing this thing that way? And I think it's a really cool device of looking at the world through a different lens. And I wish that Rand or Jordan would take more advantage of that. Yeah. And and have Rand be like, well, let me go talk with the either the wise ones or the clan chiefs, because he, he probably converses with the clan chiefs way more than the wise ones. But right. speaking to the clan chiefs and, and trying to balance and respect each different nation that he conquers and all the people, but also with the idea in mind that his his goals are separate from all of these individual nations and being able to use kind of the Aiel perspective and say like, no, this should be done a different way, even if it is completely nonsensical to the you know the normal world beyond the Dragon Wall or on this side of the Dragon mm-hmm. Wall. Um, I feel like it's a really cool tool that kind of gets hinted at, but I'd like to see more of it. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about the concept of Taviran because somebody made a comment uh, on one of the Reddit threads, and I can't for the life of me remember which one, uh, but I will read you a bit. Uh, this person says, I think, speaking of Taviran, I think this is one of the most ingenious things RJ did with Wheel of Time, essentially building in the conceit of X happened because they are a main because they are a main character or X did this because that's what the story needed to happen into the okay so this is built into the actual metaphysics of the world and turning it into an important story element it allows the actual plot in the form of the pattern to force the characters against their will into certain situations while taking running from your fate to a whole new level our characters can literally not escape what destiny or in this case RJ has in store for them and I thought, okay, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I, from what I'm reading here, this person is saying that um, that no author is fully going to escape plot armor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this person goes on to make a comparison to uh, George Martin, mm-hmm. who kind of tricks you into thinking that he doesn't use plot armor but then it becomes very apparent later in the series that mm-hmm. that there are a few characters that he's not going to get rid of he, he uh, basically cheaply yeah for martin what he does is he basically makes the real main characters of his epic story minor characters from the get-go right 
and then he kills off all of your likable main characters with air quotes. Main. Right. He kills those people off, and you're ba- he's just basically whittling down until he gets to what is really the main story. Right. So anyway, um, so and so nobody, including George Martin, is immune to this mm-hmm. idea of plot armor. They need these characters to get yeah. to the end of the story, and so they're going to do so. And so I think what this person is saying is that Robert Jordan just owns that and mm-hmm. builds it into the story. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, oh, that's a really doggone interesting way of looking at it um, and kind of a good way to excuse something mm-hmm. that we often... Um, that we often criticize writers for mm-hmm. making their plot armor too uh, too apparent, but uh, anyway, yeah, and and I actually think it's it's I'm probably going to be on the side of this this redditor as yeah. I think it's a genius move because like you said you cannot escape it as an author or a creative writer you're always going to end up with some sort of plot armor and uh, I I feel like it's it's a really good way to to be able to just Tavirun and bring people <laughs> back when he needs them as long as he doesn't do it too often. Right. And I feel like he's really the way that he's used Tavirun, um, he's starting to pepper in some of the negative effects of it as well. So you see all these random events that happen, um, you know, especially in the Dragon Reborn as Rand is going down to the Stone of Tear. Right. And like there's this whole Taviran thing in his wake where people are getting married, like a whole village gets married at one time or whatever. But you start to see some of the negative effects as well. Um, and I think you see some of that in the first part of book six as well. It mentions like random people die for really weird, crazy reasons. And it is an effect of being around Rand or any Taviran. Um, so he's, he's kind of tempering that it's not always just a positive Rand needs X character to destroy X bad guy at the end of this book. So we're just going to throw out the Taviran fishing line and reel him in. (laughs) He's using it a little bit more within the story to show negative, positive and negative effects. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we are just a few minutes shy of an hour now, so we should probably start wrapping it up. So uh, I think we'll do another one of these kind of uh, roundup episodes, maybe after another five books or so. I could see us doing one after book 10. And then the one after the end of the series will be where we'll get to talk about, oh, there was that foreshadowing that happened all the mm-hmm. way in book one. And that, that'll be a lot of fun. So we could get there. I think the existence of this episode and what we plan to do going, you know, some of these recap episodes just kind of proves the point of some of the Redditors. Like, how are you going to get through it all? Well, we're not. We're so, not. so we're going to throw you a bonus episode to try to get some more in there. By the way, I love that you just said that. Throw us, throw you a bonus episode. Throw mm-hmm. you a bone. This episode. Uh, that was awful. That was <laughs> awful. We, are, are we both fathers of two? Yeah, I'm afraid You so. just said bonus. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of it that way. <laughs> that was off. Well, what a way to end the podcast, everybody. That was. That That's was how it should start awful. as well. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. All right. <laughs> we will see you. I think uh, the next episode, we are going to get in the studio next week and record uh, the first episode for book six. Um, and we'll air a couple of those this month. Um, I am in the midst of purchasing a home, at which point we will move the studio. 
and uh, so we may have a week, possibly two, but I'm hoping that it'll be no more than a week off uh, when we need to get the studio set up somewhere else. So pardon us, pardon our dust as we um, get things back up and running later this month. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we really, really appreciate everything that you guys do for us, all the communication, all the feedback, positive and negative. We love it all. Uh, Patreon donors, uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, but if all that you can do is listen and enjoy, we appreciate that just as much as, uh, as anything else. So thanks everybody. We'll see you in a week. And, uh, what's, what's Matt's catchphrase? Time to toss the dice. It's time to toss the dice, everybody. All right. See you later. (laughs) 